The reading is from Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30, and is on page 807 of your pew Bible. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, and to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who received the five talents went off at once and treated them and made five more talents. In the same, the one who had two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward and saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master replied, you wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents. For all, to all who, those who have been, more have been given, they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Word of God, word of life. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Hope you noticed that first line of today's text. It is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. First thing about that word slaves here, being 21st century Americans, we might hear that word and rightly imagine a racist system driven by fear and violence. And I'm not going to say the ancient system of slavery was all hunky-dory because it was not, but it was very different than how the American South practiced it more recently. Slavery in biblical times cut across races. It cut across nationalities. Cheap labor has always fueled economies that build pyramids and build cathedrals and go to the moon and live off fast food. In biblical times, slavery was the economic system that delivered cheap labor. It typically did not include the torture and the inhumanity we would think of. I could say a lot more about biblical slavery, but suffice it to say that in order to help many 21st century people not get stuck 
on that word, many translations of the Bible will replace the word slave with servant, which isn't quite right either. But translating is always limiting. Anyway, I want you to notice from that first line of today's text the word entrusted. The man entrusted his property to these three slaves. They had not won the lottery where they get to now do whatever they want with money that is their own. This is more like a wealth manager receiving the life savings of a client. Like nobody walks into a financial services firm, finds the wealth manager and says, here's all my money, it's yours to keep. It's more like what the man tells his slaves, here's my money, it's entrusted to you, I am coming back. The question this text is trying to answer is, so in the meantime, to those whom much is entrusted, what's expected? Last week's sermon was based on the parable that comes just before this one in Matthew's gospel. We're in a a section of Matthew's gospel that scholars call the eschatological discourse, which is a fancy way of saying the part where Jesus teaches a series of lessons about the end. Last week I said, we talk about the end of time and think about it a lot less than the people of Matthew's day did, and maybe a lot less than we should. But to be clear, as Christians, we do believe that there will be the end. And confess that we believe Jesus will be then and there at the end. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And last week, I talked about how we are called to wait for that return with an attitude of readiness, an attitude of hope, because we don't proclaim that the end will be scary and awful, death and destruction, so look out. In faith, Christians believe that even if the world would end a nuclear holocaust, then that's not the end, because in the true end, end of all things, Jesus will be there. Jesus will be then, and Jesus is mercy, peace, love personified, more powerful than any amount of bombs, any amount of hate, more powerful than death itself. Christians believe that at the end, all will be made well, because then all will be made whole. The promise of God is that all will be made new, And so we Christians wait in hope, awake, not asleep. That was last week's lesson from Jesus. And today is about what are we supposed to do in this wake-filled meantime as we wait? To those who much is entrusted, what is expected? So what have you been entrusted with? In what ways are you a wealth manager for God. We are all wealth managers. In the church, we usually call this stewardship. Each of us is a steward of gifts and responsibilities that we did not generate all by ourselves, and we don't get to keep them or own them or control them. In our most faithful moments, we admit that the ideas of ownership or control our fantasy, right? Like, I don't own my marriage, for example. I steward it. I do not control 
my health, I steward it. As a faithful steward, I do my best, or I know I'm at least called to do my best, to cultivate my marriage, to tend to my health as faithfully as possible, knowing that I I can't force my marriage to work, I can't force my body to never fail. We're all stewards, not controllers, not owners, which can be hard for us to admit, hard for us to come to peace with. So what have you been entrusted with to steward well? Money. That's the obvious one, right? You may not feel like much money has been entrusted to you, but consider this. To be among the top 10% of the wealthiest people on earth, a family's net worth, so that's your house, your cars, all your stuff, all of it, all your savings, liquefy all of it. And if it's worth more than $95,000, you're in the top 10% of anybody in the whole world. And even if you personally have not been entrusted with great financial wealth, you live in a community, in a region, a state, a nation that is as wealthy as almost anywhere else on earth. I imagine in the end, all the nations, according to Revelation, will be welcome to enter the city gates of the New Jerusalem. And among the billions will be us who were among the financially wealthiest of them all. We are entrusted with such wealth, individually and as a community. For what? For our own sake? For the sake of others? What else have you been entrusted with? Not that you own it or control it, but it is God's wealth that you, for whatever reason, get to manage. Relationships. When we have a funeral here, oftentimes I'll hear stories about the the person's wealth of friendships. I mean, have you ever counted yourself as lucky to have met the people you've met? That you get to have the people in your life that you have in your life? Like, that I get to have the parents I have, or uh, the neighbor that you have, or that teammate you got to play that sport with, or that coworker you get to work with, or that best friend that for whatever reason is stuck with you through all the things, or that spouse. We are entrusted with amazing people in our lives, and we can either invest our time and imagination into them or not. You're entrusted with vocational gifts, an ability to meet the world's needs with your perspective, your passion, your work. When I think of vocation, I think of a doctor on an airplane just wanting to take a nap. You know, like they're, they're going on vacation, but somebody has a medical emergency, and so they call out over the intercom, is there a doctor in the house, in the, in the plane? Here you've been gifted vocationally with the ability to meet someone's obvious need. Do you answer the call, or do you just drift into sleep? Whether you're in sales or manufacturing or teaching or medicine or homemaking, or you're a student, Preparing for your vocation, whatever vocational gifts you've been entrusted with, you can keep them to yourself, which helps no one, contributes toward nothing, or you can steward that wealth faithfully. Each of us is entrusted with a body, 
few weeks ago, I went in for my annual checkup with a new doctor, and she asked all the questions about my eating and my drinking habits, whether I smoke, whether I exercise. And when she was all done, she told me what I, I assume is her kind of standard speech about health. She said something like, well, it's, it's not rocket science, and I assume you're already aware of all this, but, and then she proceeded to remind me that 30 minutes a day of weight-bearing exercise is part of what keeps a body well. Weight training is a good idea for bone density. They didn't used to talk to me about bone density, but I must be getting old. Remaining hydrated is important. Get vaccinated. Eat your vegetables. Try to refrain from alcohol and tobacco. Did you just hear anything in what I just said that you've never heard before? Like, was any of that news? No, right? We're aware that what we eat, the habits we have, whether we exercise, has a lot to do with our health. Not everything, but a lot. No other humans in the history of humankind have had more scientific data telling them what they should eat, what they should do to be healthy. It's not for a lack of information, right? We're gifted with a wealth of information that we could steward our bodies well. So much is entrusted to us. As baptized children of God claimed into the faith of Jesus, there's one more really important thing you have been entrusted with. We together have been entrusted with. Paul tells the Corinthians, think of us in this way, as servants of Christ and stewards of God's mysteries. My little note in the Lutheran study Bible I use says, in the ancient household, some of which may have consisted of 20 or more people, a steward has the responsibility to distribute food, clothing, and other necessities of life. The church has a similar duty to make sure that all possess, even enjoy, the unimaginably good news of God's promise to glorify humanity. In other words, the good news has been entrusted to us. As much as each of us has been entrusted with money and relationships and vocational gifts and our bodies, all gifts that we can't own or completely control, but we can make good use of them or not so great use of them, the same can be said of the gospel itself, the good news that in the end, all will be well, all will be made new. And that in the meantime, with all that we've been entrusted with, we can live free from the fear of losing. See, that is at the heart of what today's text from Matthew is all about. This fear of losing that which we have been entrusted with because we think we own it. We think we control it. And so we think we can lose it. The first slave is entrusted with five talents. The second two, the third one. I wondered, maybe you are too. What, what's a talent? Well, a talent is worth something like 20 years wages for a typical worker. It's a lot of money. So in 2023, in our case around here, I looked this up, $47,000 is the average wage for a typical worker. So call it $50,000. So multiply that by 20 because that's what a talent is, 20 times a year of typical wages. So you'd get a million dollars, which I think is kind of the point. This person got a million, this person got two million, this person got five million. It's meant to be like a lot, right? So 
If this, imagine the boss leaving town and entrusting you with $5 million or $2 million or $1 million, whatever, what would you do with it while you wait for your boss to return? Two of them double their money. The one entrusted with one talent went and buried it. Why? He says why when he gives back the same amount of money he was entrusted with to begin with. I was afraid. The slave doesn't steal from his boss. He doesn't lose any of his boss's money, but he also doesn't carry on the work of his master. And it's not that the master had unfair expectations of what this third slave was capable of. Matthew says, each was given what they were given in accordance with their ability. So this third slave is able. The third slave is like the doctor on the airplane who ignores the call for help over the intercom, keeping his vocational gifts to himself because you never know. Maybe that person's going to sue me. Uh, Maybe there's not good Samaritan laws in the skies. I don't know. He's like the the married person who only ever takes their spouse for granted, never wanting to discover the depths of intimacy and love that being vulnerable and being curious can bring. This third slave is like a baptized child of God who keeps the good news of Jesus to themselves. Mercy, kindness, generosity, I'll take it for sure, but give it? Eh, Not to them. While we wait for Jesus to come again. In the meantime, to those who much is entrusted, what is expected? That each of us and all of us together would use all that we have for the sake of carrying on the Master's work. That's what Jesus is teaching here. We are expected to carry on the Master's work, which isn't done by burying something out in a hole in the back yard. It's, it's bold. We're expected to be bold, expand the kingdom of God into the pain-filled places, into conversations that are filled with cynical, racist, untrue despair. Steward the good news of Jesus by sharing the kindness and mercy of Jesus at all times, in all places, for all people. This Thursday, obviously, is Thanksgiving, And I'm certain that many of us are truly and deeply thankful that we live in a nation that enjoys peace, especially as we compare ourselves to places in the world that are at war. We are thankful to live in a part of the country that has water, (laughs) relatively clean water, abundant food, strong communities, and the beauty of this area is like icing on the cake. So much has been entrusted to you and to us. So what's expected of us? Jesus makes it clear that bold persistence in living out those beatitudes, feeding the hungry, advocating for justice in the healthcare system or the education system or the correctional system, for example, blessing the meek, especially when they look rough, Serving the least instead of thinking we're better than the least. Visiting the sick and imprisoned. Clothing the naked. Welcoming the stranger. We can do those things. We're entrusted with wealth beyond measure. Thanks be to God. And that means we're expected 
to not live afraid. Burying our gifts in a hole or remaining too grouchy to help out or show interest or show up or share what we have. Instead of allowing what we have to just make us feel worried about losing what we have, we're called to use all that we have for the sake of God's kingdom. Because when we do, when we are so bold, so persistent, so fearless, we, as the man in the parable tells those first two slaves, we enter into the joy of your master. What a great phrase. Generous spirits in offering mercy, kindness, and love, faithful stewards find themselves in the joy of their master. Thanks be to God. Amen.